Pro football player Travis Kelsey is pressed for time during the football season. So he does two things at once. Whether it's grilling while mowing. Two things at once! Or getting this season's updated COVID-19 shot at the same visit as his flu shot. Two things at once. You can be like Travis and ask your pharmacist about getting this season's COVID-19 shot at the same visit as your flu shot, if you're due for both, as recommended by the CDC. Learn more and schedule at VaxAssist.com. Sponsored by Pfizer. When the kids call and they say, hey, Dad, can you pick up Skyline? I'm always like, absolutely. I'm halfway there because you don't have to tell me twice. That's the time for our family to be together, and Skyline's always been part of our family time. Welcome to a new edition of the Going Deep Podcast. I'm your host today, Kevin Masseri, as always here with Mike Bunt to go through some huge topics of the day. We got Leslie Frazier, we got a little bit of stadium talk, we got the combine on the fold, we've got running backs, we've got trades, we've got a ton to tell, we got comments from the GM and the head coach. It's going to be an awesome show, and we'll be right back with you. Josh Allen, looking deep, going deep. To me, talking about the Bills, what else would you rather be doing? We're hoping to add a, a new dimension to the Cover One Network. Slings it deep down field, and it's Right now, I just want to talk about this championship level. I've never had a championship caliber team to talk about. I want to focus more on the storylines each week. What are the big stories going on with the Bills? What are uh, thoughts, commentary? How do these things impact Buffalo? Deep drop. Deep throw. And it is pulled in for the touchdown. Allen deep to the end zone and caught for a touchdown. Play action. Allen deep downfield, wide open. What a great Tuesday to end February, Mike. This is the Going Deep Podcast. New show sponsor, Sons of Erie. Get out there and check them out on Instagram as soon as possible. Once again, Sons of Erie, we are so happy to have them on the Cover One Network. We'll get into more of them later. Lots to get to, Mike. What's going on today with your opinions? I know there's a lot to digest. The Leslie Frazier stepping back. Some news you don't generally hear uh, with the coming back next year. People do obviously come back the following year. That's a thing. But to say that ahead of time, really interesting perspective to start our day. And really, I thought about now we were over the hump of any further coaching changes. We saw some moves there at the coaching side. Well, Sean McDermott call plays. There's a lot to get into in this episode. Um, Mike, we're going to start there. First of all, how are you doing today? And what's your general opinion to close out February? Yeah, I'm doing great today. And what a bombshell to open up the last day of February. What I my, my initial reaction is that the majority of Bills Mafia got their wish. Many fans had scapegoated Leslie Frazier as the guy they wanted out, the guy uh, that they were blaming for the Bills' playoff failures the last three years. And for those fans, he is now gone. So you cannot blame him for the defensive issues that they may encounter uh, in the future. Now, that said, do I think uh, that they're going to magically be better on the defensive side of the ball next year? No. Do I think he was the main problem with the Bills over the last uh, year or two in the playoffs? No, I, I don't. I think in the end, uh, while he will depart, not much is going to philosophically change 
on this Bills defense. I don't think you're going to see a ton of changes. Their staff is already put together. Uh, as we have talked about in Cover One chats um, many times in the past, this isn't something where the Bills were pushing Frazier out. This was Frazier is uh, one of the top defensive coaches, one of the top defensive coordinators in football over the past half decade. And he was in line uh, for interviews for many head coaching jobs. And after failing to get them, he was considering stepping aside from the team last offseason. So I, I truly believe this was one of those situations where at the end of the season, the Bills were telling him, take a month, take some time, figure out if you do want to want to continue coaching or not. And eventually he made a decision to move on. So Bills fans better not get an idea that something that it's going to drastically change because it's not. And most likely the person that will take over for him is already part of the current staff. Yeah. I mean, most likely, you know, you got a couple of really good candidates, depending on which way you want to take it. You know, they just hired as a senior defensive assistant, El Holcomb official today. Um, so that could be a, an interesting news and uh, a player uh, coach to keep an, your eye on. Um, Bobby Babbage Jr., the linebackers coach, a guy that really developed these linebackers after taking over for his father, after coming over from safeties coach, after he left to go to linebackers, linebackers got better, safety coaches then let go. So maybe Bobby, Bobby Babbage Jr. is a name to watch out for uh, in this coaching search. Maybe he's just by title and it's still Sean McDermott calling plays. I'm apprehensive on that Mike because what does that mean for his already game day decisions which he's had to learn over the last so many years to get better at it um, and I think he's finally to a much better spot with his game day decisions but hey maybe it keeps Sean McDermott from micromanaging inside of big games with those defensive timeouts and other situations but honestly on by and large he's averaging the second to third most win percentage in all of coaches based on his decisions and what he's doing in game so it's very interesting to see if Sean McDermott will take over for the play calling on the defensive side. And as uh, Ron Rivera said, he's an aggressive coach. A lot of, uh, you know, a, a, the, the sentiment around Buffalo is that they're soft. They play this soft zone because of the one image that we've seen uh, where the DBs are much off in the snow uh, in a situation to where they were trying to stop the Bengals. Bad situational play call there. I mean, I think even McDermott would agree. Don't believe that that's indicative of all they do is play soft zone. Um, they do a lot of different things schematically. And in the snow, when you're not getting any pass rush, they were probably trying to try something different to confuse Burrow. Clearly didn't work. But I do believe that's the that's the theory there um, in that game. But he's known to be an aggressive coach. Will the Bills go back to being aggressive under McDermott? Maybe that was some of the philosophical changes. They're like, hey, let's try to t pivot some things this year. Leslie's like, well... I may be more willing to step back right now um, for X, Y, Z reasons. And, um, you know, I'm going to leave that to you guys. But Bobby Babbage Jr. is one to watch. Eric Washington was one to watch. I don't know what the way the D-line has played lately, if he's going to be really in contention of this thing. Butler, uh, their, their, their DB's coach is another uh, name to watch as well uh, in, this, in this. And he's been, both of them have been defensive coordinators before. Leads me to believe if he would have agreed a couple of weeks ago, would they have considered some of some other the names that were out there? I don't know. I don't. I don't think that it would have mattered. But that's kind of what that leaves me thinking. I don't think the Bills were ever planning on really getting an outside person to take over this defense. If anything, they might make some changes in situations. Yeah, they maybe they'll be more aggressive. Maybe they'll change up the percentage that they do certain things. But I don't think we're going to have an overhaul of, of this defense. 
El Holcomb was an interesting hire from Carolina because obviously everybody tied the Carolina connection. But the way he does things defensively does differ from the way McDermott uh, has done things historically uh, on defense. Yes, they were both in Carolina um, at the same time for a short period, but Holcomb does attack things differently. Uh, like you said, Eric Washington under consideration, Bobby Babbitt Jr. Uh, under consideration. So there are guys internally that will be able to step up uh, if asked. I personally don't think it's going to be Sean McDermott calling plays because we did see early in his career when he was head coach that he did struggle at times with some of the situational uh, aspects of being a head coach. And I would worry if you're entirely focused on the defensive side uh, that maybe he, he could have some issues with that again, not saying he would. Um, he He's obviously been a head coach now for six years in Buffalo, but uh, I, I would want him to still focus on the head coaching stuff first and then trust one of his assistants to take over as D coordinator. But overall, the stuff that you've been saying about how do they go forward with this, it's going to be very interesting, Kevin, because I just get this aspect that a lot of people feel that Leslie Frazier was pushed out the door. And I just I don't believe that uh, was the case at all. Like you said, Eric Washington, I don't think he's going to really get that consideration just because of the fault of the defensive line not really improving uh, the last couple years um, under him. And when you look at were the Bills aggressive, were they not aggressive, Kev? I think fans are always going to want whatever results and sacks, takeaways, uh, turnovers, big impact plays. But – the thing that fans forget outside of the sacks and, and really outside of this past season, the bills have been good at making those types of plays. They were number one um, in yards allowed per game two seasons ago, points allowed per game, third down percentage defense. Uh, we talked about the one stat about impact plays, tackles for loss, interceptions. I, I, I think it was a havoc stat by uh, one of, the analytical guys on Twitter and the bills were near the top of the league, the entire NFL and havoc uh, plays over the course of last season. So yes, I, I think there's a disconnect between the reality of what the bills defense actually was and what fans think the defense was, because we talk about all the time fans bring up the last three playoff losses. They allowed around 500 yards per game around 30 something 30 plus points per game. Well, you know what, you're going, as I said last week on the show, you're going up against Kansas City twice and Cincinnati once. And we saw Kansas City play Philadelphia, who had 70 sacks last year, and they tore them apart. So how much can you really do as a defensive coordinator to stop that? And the last thing I'll say before I, I hand it over, that picture against Cincinnati where they're doing the off coverage on what, third and four, uh, third and five, I get it. Fans are frustrated. They feel like they're conceding a first down. But as we mentioned about a month ago, whether fans agree with this or not, there is an analytical basis for why you would show up in that formation there. Histor historical evidence shows that you force a throw short of the sticks, and then it's up to you to make a tackle in that situation. And the Bills were in a situation where they could have made a tackle. Now, I don't agree with it because you're trying to take down a Jamar Chase a T. Higgins, uh, a Taj Boyd, and the Bills' weakness this year is tackling. So I don't agree with it. 
but let's not act like the Bills coaching staff, especially defensive coaching staff, was just throwing out stupid stuff that was low percentage. They had analytical basis to do what they were doing. Were they always successful? No, but more often than not, the, their reasoning for why they did things was why they had success the majority of the time and why they have won on average 12 games a year over the last three seasons. And I know people are going to be like, forget the analytics, forget the DVOAs and everything. Well, you know what? Those DVOAs and analytics and all that advanced metrics, that's why they've been one of the best teams in football consistently for the last three seasons. And yes, do they need to execute when it matters in the playoffs? Absolutely. But you got to make the playoffs first in order for that to even be a situation that matters. Yeah, and really good on foot we have in Indianapolis right now at in front of the coaching staffs and the uh, GMs. We have AJ Sabolski coming from Indy live. He's going to be there all week, so we're going to have some cool stuff next week, whatever notes and uh, thoughts he has coming from the Combine. So we're going to bring you some of our own footage and what we think happened next week. But this week we wanted to get AJ on to talk about what he saw uh, down there today from this so, and then we'll get kind of get into some of the best fits as I've done some research on what I think could happen at the defensive coordinator position. AJ, how you doing? Good, man. It was a fun first day. Um, I'm sure. Walking, literally walking into the convention center and Buffalo Bills PR puts the tweet out that Frazier had to, or they let go of Frazier. And I was like, is this a fake account? Like it was almost not believable because, you know, it's so late in the process. Most of those decisions are already made for coordinators at this point. So that obviously was the topic of conversation. The first thing Brandon Bean talked about, they got into that and a bunch more today. So it, it was a good uh, conversation. Bean gave us a lot of time, um, two hours almost, uh, you know, like 30 on the podium, much longer on the side. And then McDermott did as well. So both, both did a good job today. Yeah, we're going to start there then. I guess we'll start at the top with brand GM Brandon Bean. What were you able to get that was, in your opinion, that wasn't on the 30 minutes at the 23 minutes at the podium? What were you able to grab maybe in some of those scrums or side um, um, media room that he was able to give you guys? So I guess talk to us about your opinion and some of the things you thought he said and plug some of the things you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he did a good job, um, you know, speaking. I Obviously, the part about Hamlin was pretty neat where he went in the depth about, you know, how he's kind of going on that superstar, like, all over the place, like making himself, you know, like a, he's going to football games, basketball games all over the place, um, doing all that cool stuff and how he's almost ready to, you know, see some more specialists and get out there to see some opinions um, to see if he can maybe play again. They don't know if he can, you know, it's too early in the process. Um, he talked at length about like, you know, the draft and like the ceiling of the players, which is interesting. He said like the top guys were, you know, at the top are pretty talented but he liked the depth. He mentioned the tight end position, um, which was interesting. He also mentioned the, you know, cornerbacks and how the hybrids and how there's a lot of guys that can play multiple positions, linebacker, safety, cornerback in this draft, which I also thought was neat. Um, you know, like, like a Benford, he mentioned Benford. That was a, one of, one of my big takeaways too, was Benford. Um, he really was adamant that yes, they want him and McDermott both. Yes. He's going to play cornerback, but we'll see where that goes. Kind of hinting like maybe, maybe that Benford could be that, that safety filler um, the next couple of years. So it's an interesting topic conversation about Benford. And I think he had, you know, a lot of good, other good points, but those are the things that come to mind right now. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, 
what's the feel around it in within Indianapolis is do you feel like he feels rushed? Do you feel like he has some extra pressure? Any sense that we can't notice that from just the video that you may have sensed there? Do you think like there was more pressure on Frazier? What's your opinion just in general of the feel or was being just not, you not sensing anything different or like, I guess talk to me about just the general consensus of on foot. Yeah. I think being in McDermott, the overall like vibe I got from them being there, um, they seem relaxed. Um, I think they still seemed a little upset about how the season ended. They talked, you know, at length about that a little bit in terms of, you know, the offensive line, what they need to look at to upgrade that position, possible playmakers. They mentioned, you know, someone asked about the offensive line, defensive line. They're going to look at that still. Like, that's not going to be a thing they don't address because they know that's the most important part, and they saw what happened to Josh Allen last year. So in terms of just the overall feel, I think they were positive. Um, the Frazier thing was very interesting. They said they only found it about a week ago, and that McDermott – someone asked McDermott about him calling plays next year. And, like, you could see, like, being there, he had this, like, he grinned a little bit. Like, he tried to hold it back, but you could tell, like, he grinned a little bit. I think this idea that McDermott could call plays, and I think they really have the strong feeling that someone in the organization, whether it be Al Holcomb or John Butler, um, one of those guys that they really trust, though they could be promoted as well. Um, so they were calm. I think they were cool, collected, calm, cool, collected. Um, very, very good insight. And I think they spoke a lot more than I expected. Like, you know, usually they're very tight to the vest, um, don't really say much. But they, they gave some good information, and I think it was all valuable. Um, and hopefully they, you know, turn the ship around and have a have a good offseason here. It's interesting that you mentioned that uh, McDermott grinned when brought up the possibility of calling plays because I think deep down he would love to do that. I, I honestly do believe he would get a kick out of calling plays as Kevin mentioned, aggressive nature. Uh, in the end, though, he's also a guy that likes to have to give people opportunities and to have the best for his assistants. And I think that's going to get the better of him when it comes down to making this decision. Uh, as much as I think he's intrigued by that possibility, you mentioned some names, Kevin, and I have mentioned some similar names as well. I, I think the, the chance of putting someone – under his wing uh, and kind of grow his tree and, and, and let him do some of the other responsibilities, I, I think is going to win out uh, in this situation. Yeah. He also mentioned, I have it right here on uh, McDermott when asked about the elevation of, you know, elevating a coach for the defensive coordinator position, he was tight to vest. And he said, again, that's all part of the evaluation. So he really didn't say much in terms of what, what they want to do with that position. The only thing I got was that grin when someone asked him about him playing or him calling plays next season. Um, and that's just a little tidbit. I don't know if it means anything, but I'm sure they might promote somebody. And AJ, he could get the best of both worlds where he's able to call plays, but he still gives someone a chance similar to the Andy Reid with Eric Bieniemy. Uh, Andy Reid with Eric Bieniemy, where maybe it is a younger a coach like uh, Bobby Babbage Jr., who has it in title, helps with game day stuff on the field things. And McDermott's calling plays. So I would probably see a scenario like that. Would you say that's something that might be the most likely situation? I think, yeah, I think I could really see something like that. Or or another likely situation, I think, is them just promoting someone inside the organization. Mm. Um, and just McDermott still handling the play calling. And, I mean, he really the, – the guy he talked at 
talked about at length today was Al Holcomb. He said he has great defensive coordinator experience. He knows the system that they run. Um, and he, he really, he's really good at developing players in, in the defense in total. So I think Al Holcomb is a really strong candidate for that position. But internally, whether it's a young guy, whether that's McDermott, you know, having the full playbook at his disposal, calling all the plays, or whether that's getting some – I'm sure he'll take some advice, like you said, from the guy that they title the defensive coordinator. Um, and that'll be that'll be interesting to see. It'll be cool to develop if they can actually truly develop a defensive coordinator. I don't know how common that is. Uh, maybe you guys know more about that. But to see a young guy after Frazier, who's you know 63 years old, a young guy, new new name, new face, will be pretty cool. And it's not like any of these guys are super young. A lot of the names that we're bringing up are experienced NFL head coaches that just haven't had their opportunity. Some actually have had their opportunity. Uh, guys like Al Holcomb, who um, – was the interim defensive coordinator in Carolina this past season and then was a D coordinator in Arizona for a year as well. So that was one of those moves that was a little bit under the radar when it happened, but maybe there was some sense. Uh, let's bring him in. We don't know what way uh, Frazier is leaning at this point. And to your point too, Kev, uh, where you could have a defensive coordinator and um, McDermott at times calling plays. Let's not forget that also has happened while Frazier was in Buffalo and there were struggles at times. Uh, McDermott did take away play calling duties for a week or two. Um, I forget what season, um, but it was something that they have done before. So definitely not impossible if they name someone defensive coordinator and they have struggles early on, um, something that McDermott might want to ease. So regardless of what they do, I think we all agree McDermott being the defensive mind he is, they are going to be okay. The, the wheels are not going to fall off with Frazier being gone. The, the, the question more so is what are going to be the philosophical differences and changes and tweaks that are made? Uh, I think for the most part, we all expect something similar to what we saw with Frazier with some tweaks and adjustments to be made, um, basically to uh, adjust from what exposed them late in the season. Yeah, and Ron Rivera spoke today. Um, I know you saw probably the tweet about McDermott saying – or him saying that McDermott's a, an aggressive defensive coordinator play caller. So maybe you see more, you know, cornerback blitzes or if they re-sign Edmonds or whoever that middle linebacker position is, bring him into the box and send him a blitz. Maybe a little more pressure. Uh, maybe maybe a little more press man. Maybe pressing on the outside a little more instead of, you know, doing the <laughs> – backing off and playing a, a softer zone like they have been, have been good at and have been successful. But maybe just a little more tweaks, a little, you know – more play calling. Buckeye Imagination Museum is the destination for whole family fun. Bring all of your kids for imaginative and competitive play. From toddlers to teens, there's something for everyone. Little ones can shop, bank, and go out to eat. And your older ones will enjoy the racing laser tunnel, arcade games, six-person air hockey table, mini golf, and so much more. Grab something from the snack bar and stay all day. Plan your visit to Buckeye Imagination Museum today at BuckeyeImaginationMuseum.org. Halfway between Cleveland and Columbus in downtown Mansfield. Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster, in a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. 
differences in terms of sending guys and showing showing pressure and not actually sending all the pressure. So they, they can do a multitude of things. I'd be actually really excited to see McDermott. Like if I knew McDermott was calling to plays and see the defense, I think it'd be actually really intriguing. I think that's the theory I like the most because I think that that allows someone like Bobby Babbage Jr. to learn underneath Sean McDermott as the title defensive coordinator. Like we talked about earlier on the show, safeties were great underneath him, went to linebackers, and now you had the best year of the linebackers. Safety coaches let go, new safety coach needed. At some point, a young up-and-comer like Bobby Babbage Jr., who's there to learn, not not necessarily want to in, in, you know, kind of incite his will on what he thinks should be done in certain situations and just learn from McDermott might be the way to go. And Al Holcomb can then senior defensive uh, analyst as well as be run game coordinator or linebackers coach or whatever it may be still a pretty pivotal role to the defense. But, you know, let's be honest. Like I, I we have to go off of the, the two stints that uh, Holcomb has had and let go from both um, in terms of at least being, I think he's a great eye and a, and a really good tool for this defense. However, his run there defense were extenuating have, circumstances. The run be. defense have been horrible underneath him, though. Like, like he, like, he did. He did bad. take over in Arizona for one year under Wilkes, who got fired after his first year as an NFL head coach. And then you okay. look at Carolina after Wilkes became the interim head coach this past season. They finished the year six and six after a weak start. And I think a lot of people would say that the Panthers' defense was the strength of that team. So you do have to give him some credit for Holcomb for what he did this past uh, year overall with Carolina. And a lot of his players have spoken, uh, past players have spoken very highly of him. Uh, it, it's one of those things where can you really go harshly over a coach, a D coordinator on their track record when they've only been a, at that position one or two years with mediocre teams? That was the case. Brian Dable should never have been uh, – an offensive coordinator in Buffalo. He had already failed on three other organizations. So I, I, I'm not one that really is going to kill a guy if he's had some weak units uh, with subpar teams. There's often a philosophy or uh, a, a reason why you're bringing in a guy at that level, uh, even if the numbers don't always back it up. Let's go around the horn right now. What do we want the best situation to be going forward at the defensive spot? AJ, we'll start with you. Defensive coordinator spot. Yeah. How do you want it to play out? I want them to promote someone from the inside. Okay. They set. They've. They spoke at length today how much they tr- like that. That's another takeaway. They really both of them said they trust the guys they have. Um, they're confident with those guys, and being even said, McDermott's called plays. Like he made a living calling plays on the defensive side of the ball. That's like what he did. Um, Ryan for DC. Yeah. Um, we joked about that today, but, um, yeah, I think promote someone inside, let McDermott take over the play calling. If it works, then keep doing it. If it doesn't, then you can either, I mean, if it doesn't work, maybe you have a conversation about McDermott. Um, but I think McDermott wants to prove something. Maybe, maybe he wants to prove something. Maybe he just is, I know, I know he's a confident guy. Um, but if you, if you put that pressure on yourself, like the scenario I want, if you're putting that pressure on yourself, the more likely you're going to get backlash if the defense doesn't play to the capability it is capable of playing. <clears throat> That's true. What, yeah, there, what is your preferred risk for McDermott yeah. in that scenario? So I, I, how I want it to play out, I know he just came to Buffalo in the last month. I would like to see Al Holcomb get the defensive coordinator job. 
I know that there he brings some different approaches, which I think could be helpful to have an outside uh, perspective and view enter this organization. Um, and you have a situation where you have an entire offseason to, to get on the same page with McDermott. If he struggles early in the year, McDermott can always take over the play calling and still have Holcomb be uh, the defensive coordinator, helping with game plans and stuff like that. It sounds like Bobby Babich has a real possibility at getting this. So I, I'm not against him or any other internal name uh, getting a shot, but my preference just based on him having recent experience and some success at it uh, would be for Al Holcomb to, to get Al Holcomb. AJ, what's your name? Who do you elevate, or 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 no one? No, hold on. I'm I, I, I'm all okay. I'm on board with. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know much about Bobby Babbage, so like I'm not gonna okay. probably have a, an opinion on that. So I have to go with the guy I'm more familiar with, and that's Al Holcomb. So I'll what go you can say about him is Bobby Babbage has had high level success with his positional units. You think about uh, he started out the the last couple of years. He was safeties coach. That coincided with Poyer and Hyde having their most successful periods um, mm. in the Bills organization. Not that they weren't great from the beginning, but the years he was their safety coach, they really were unbelievable. Second team all pro, first team all pro um, for uh, Hyde and Poyer. Uh, that mm. season then gets moved to linebackers coach this year, and Tremaine and Milano have their best uh, season together. And you really think about it. So in the course of two years, going from safeties coach to linebackers coach, he, co- he personally coached up three all-pro players. So on an individual um, player basis, just looking at the units he's coached, he has had high-level success. So he's young. He's the son of a, a former college coach, former Bills uh, assistant. So you, he runs in his family. Yes, is he the first name that comes to mind for people? No, but if they end up deciding Bobby Babbage Jr. is the way to go, it's because they're seeing something day to day inside the organization that warrants the opportunity. Yeah. And he's coming from a, a coach who's been, or excuse me, a family that's been a linebackers coach, 40 years of linebackers experience, um, holding on to a couple defensive coordinator jobs in Chicago, uh, as well as Jacksonville, uh, and finishing off a strong tenure here in Buffalo. Uh, so to me, I think that yes, he would be in technicality be a first time play caller, but, in the experience that we're all talking about here, Sean McDermott is calling the plays. No better way to learn and be underneath him, as I think that's the more seamless transition. El Holcomb can then focus on linebackers, defensive run game, whatever it may, passing game, I should say. Uh, he seems to be a really strong passing game coordinator, a little bit statistically weaker per his numbers in these two situations against the run, but that is what it is. Um, but to me, I'm going younger. That's that's a situation I like. I'm picking Bobby Babbage Jr. as my transition plan because I think that gives more control to Sean and it allows for a succession plan when needed. That's where I'm at. But I do think those are the two likely candidates. I don't believe Butler or Washington, who were the odds on favorites if something happened, are probably officially out of the running. Um, I think it's just one or the other at this stage. Whoever gets the elevation uh, is going to be interesting going forward. So, AJ. We need to see what you think. Anything interesting, let's put coaching aside. Let's put all that aside for right now. It's time to talk a little bit about some of the things that happened at the combine, player-related. 
we talked a little bit about Christian Benford. Do you any sense that you got more of a corner or safety sense out of all the scrums and all the discussions today? If you had to pick today based <laughs> on the comments, where's uh-huh. he playing? Where's he playing? I think it's a it's a situation where depending on Demar Hamlin, um, without that whole ordeal, I think if I had to pick right now, I'd say cornerback. Um, he, he they said. We're going to start him at cornerback, and we'll and we'll go from there. Now, do I see a situation like I said, if Demar Hamlin can't get back on the field, and Poyer leaves, and they're desperate, and Benford has that experience a little bit, and tr- they put him in at training camp, give him some preseason reps just in case that happens. Yes, I could see down the road, in the middle of late season, Benford becoming you know the safety for this team or playing, getting some reps there. Um, but if I had to pick right now, day one, week one, um, and I don't I don't even know if we'll be on the field because I think. Kyer Elam hopefully can get that cornerback mm. two position, which that'll be a fun battle in camp. But um, right now, I'd say cornerback for Benford. Okay, that's interesting. I agree. I think that he showed some flashes and his ability to set the edge, uh, to be a physical presence. Maybe that's what they like about him in safety. Um, yeah. Some of those attacking style might work out for an Al Holcomb, as you guys have both kind of picked him as your defensive coordinator, most likely defensive coordinator. Um, I, I think it's a coin flip between okay, Holcomb coin flip. I'll say. Okay. Babbage has a good resume. I just, I just actually looked up his like when he got signed. I mean, he's, he had, yeah, he worked with Poyer and Hyde. I mean, he missed on Jaquan Johnson developing him, but that was, you know, you're not going to develop every player. Um, Hamlin was good before that all happened, and then, like you said, linebackers, um, you know, they had a, a great year. So speaking of linebackers, AJ, as you know, kind of talking about same thing with Benford. Um, I want to talk about Charles Bernard for a minute. Bean had some comments, at least publicly, about his ability to play Mike. It's something we already knew. Still interesting to me. I don't know if it's their option A at middle linebacker. I don't know if that's where they want to be. But they seem confident if that is a situation they're in, that they base money goes elsewhere. Maybe they they, they have to go safety. Maybe they, they do something at pass rusher. I'm not really sure. But let's say the money runs out and you don't do anything at linebacker and you can't secure one in the draft. You did just spend a premium asset on one last year. What was your takeaway around some of the interesting comments I weren't wasn't expecting, at least today, on Terrell Bernard? Yeah, so the question I think originally where, where they got into it was, how has the development been behind Bernard or behind Edmonds? Because I think someone asked the question about Edmonds possibly leaving this offseason. And they, they he, he didn't he was asked about Dodson, too. And I don't even think being mentioned Dodson. I think yeah. it was like all Bernard. Um, I think it's interesting. Thinking about Bernard being a middle linebacker, I would if I would not be confident um, if I was a, like a fan of the team going into the season with Bernard at middle linebacker, uh, just because I think he's not new. I know he did it a little bit in college, but I don't think he, at the NFL level putting him there in a situation and trying to be like the you know the core of the defense and the captain calling the plays. I don't know if he's ready for that. Uh, that you know narrative. Tremaine Evans is asked to do so much for the defense, and he's been here for so long. Throwing in a guy like that. I don't think it's option A. Could it be an option if everything else fails? Maybe. But I just don't see Bernard being a successful middle linebacker in this league. I think he's too small. Like like RJ Melville. Um, I don't think it's a waste of a pick. I think he could be used um, in special teams and uh, in other spots, and he could possibly play that outside linebacker. Um, but I don't think he's a third, third outside linebacker, special teamer, and Milano's backup, I think, holds a couple of cards there. We got to stop saying race of a pick, too. We don't even know what they're planning with Bernard right now for long-term future. We can't say that after one year. Maybe it will end up being a waste of a pick. But I hate when people say this stuff after one year. Uh, It's far too early to to know what they want 
out of him long term. Do you know what we don't talk about enough? His seven and a half sacks at a senior at Baylor. Um, so there might be something there in a, an attacking defense as a third linebacker coming in that we're missing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some interesting potential out of Terrell Bernard and a big game player, big game tackler, showed some aggressive style in game, see if he can get there in coverage. Um, but I don't know yet. I'm not, there's something about him I like, and I don't always feel that way. I trust me, I have my opinions on bad players. <laughs> Um, there's something there I like about him, though. Well, it's, he's an athlete, Kev. Yeah. He, he's an above-average athlete for the position. Yeah. I know we d- debate whether or not the Bills or other organizations use Raz, but deep down what Raz is basically telling you is when is you look good? at the athletic? position, are you an above-average athlete for your position and your peers? And he is. If, if you took out him being a little bit on the smaller side, he would be – 90th plus percentile in, in everything. So you look at this here, Razwise an 8.87, uh, which means you're better than 88.7% of your peers from an athletic standpoint from these metrics um, that are listed. 40-yard dash, 4.59, 20 split, 10 split, uh, the shuttle. You, you look at all these. You, this guy is, is very athletic. Now – what are the Bills' plans for him long-term? We'll have to wait and see. It, just because you're a great athlete doesn't mean you're going to pan out. But they definitely see something that they can uh, that they can mess around with and, and maybe mold into uh, something down the line. And the, the truth about it, too, is we had mentioned this all offseason. If Bernard was the fifth-round pick and Khalil Shakir was the third-round pick, would anybody have complained about that? No. We would have all been fine. We would have said – Khalil Shakir was a day two value, which we both said before the draft. And we would have said uh, Terrell Bernard, day three value. It's going to take Bernard a little bit longer to get on the field. Khalil Shakir is probably going to find the field earlier. That's the way it played out last season. The Bills didn't really have much reason to give Bernard big minutes. They had an all-pro linebacker in Milano. You had Edmonds. And then you had Taron Johnson doing the nickel where he's filling in at linebacker uh, in their defense as well. So, So long story short, there wasn't much opportunity for him last year. We're going to see if he deserves to have a chance on the field in the upcoming years, depending on what they do at linebacker. All right. Got a question for you guys. So on the way down here, I looked up Willie Gay from Kansas city, Willie Gay jr. And Nick Bolton. I looked up both of their like athletic, you know, resumes kind of at the combine because they're both really good players for the chiefs and they're, they're opposite. I don't remember which one, but one of them was really athletic. The other one was better production based um, at the combine. So, in terms of Edmonds, you got Milano and Bernard right now that are that are on the team. Edmonds is a free agent. Do you think they go in the free agency or draft that they can't retain Edmonds and Bernard? Say Bernard doesn't end up working out. Um, do you look at a guy that's similar to Edmonds, lengthy, good in coverage, kind of struggles with instincts, reading plays pre-snap, that, or do you go a guy that's like downhill? Maybe not be like not maybe not as athletically gifted, freakish, but he can. You pair, pair up a middle linebacker like that with Milano. Um, just your thoughts on a different style of middle linebacker for the I'm Bills. After the Bills cover linebackers all day, this is a passing league. I need guys that are going to be able to uh, athletic. I need get in their spots and and be able to help out in the passing, uh, stop the passing attacks. Uh, downhill guys are fun. They they make big plays every once in a while, but oftentimes they're a liability in the pass game and in. If you're a liability in the past game, you're going to get burned most of the time. If Edmonds does go, I'd prefer to address his hole 
in free agency rather than the draft. With the way the Bills are going to want their linebackers, I just don't trust any of these rookies if they they take somebody in the second, third round to be someone that's going to make uh, a reliable impact right off the bat. So I, I do think with Edmonds leaving, they're going to have to attack free agency uh, at that position. Yeah, using the KC example, Nick Bolton uh, has a 4.62 RAS score. Willie Gay has a 9.71 RAS score. I'm going Willie Gay uh, all day, even – with everything aside, uh, I'm looking for an athletic, a guy that can be really physical, but at the same time can cover, uh, might, might, might not make those huge run gaps, stop dumps. Um, but at the same time has shown me the ability to be athletic and to cover some of the better players in this league. Willie Gay, someone I really like someone that I love if we're talking about, all, like we're not talking about pro personnel here is uh, I love the ability and what he's able to do from Jermaine Pratt. He's a guy that I think would cost, a fair deal less than Tremaine Edmonds. And I've been told when I was covering uh, the Bengals games and from, you know, inside of, of Cincinnati that he's almost as good as, as a Tremaine Edmonds in a lot of ways, not quite the freak athletically, not quite the freak uh, with his profile, but he's been very good um, and almost up there in his coverage abilities. So he's someone I'd like to target. And maybe if I can't do it, maybe I shave 30 million off of the total cash that I need to spend and yet I'm able to replace him, have Terrell Bernard behind the whole package deal, and I'm all set uh, at the linebacker position. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. Like you said, the rash scores for the Chiefs, Willie Gay and um, Nick Bolton. Like how that – because I think they're both – I think they play well together. Um, I looked at their snap counts from last year, and they both relatively yeah. had like the same snap share. So, like, I understand like that it's a passing league. And, like, you – I mean, I guess you already have Milano who's kind of like that. Um, but he's still getting coverage. So it's just interesting to have like maybe like a, a guy opposite, maybe not as athletic, but more can understand more, can process better. Um, maybe not be able to, you know, get his arms up and deflect passes, but he can process plays, nowhere to be. Um, it's just an interesting, interesting thing that I that I found that they the Chiefs have two linebackers that are almost completely opposite in terms of athletic ability. So you think we might copy that scheme? Yeah, it's not it's not crazy. Andy Reid style. Uh, team Sean McDermott follows in a slot of the similar ways. Maybe they feel like they can get just as good of production, kind of mix and matching schematically, like like KCD. Yes, Levante David is a free agent. Um, with that being said, AJ, is there someone that you like then that's correlated to this offseason? Is there someone those two KC guys are obviously have one year left correlated to this year? Is there somebody that you like that would be that kind of difference in style to Matt Milano? I, I think. I like Jermaine Pratt. I know he's not that different in style, but like I like Jermaine Pratt. I think you can get him at ten or eleven million. Um, he's like yep. one of those guys that you're probably looking at when it's all said and done. I'm just probably I think I get like eighteen million, nineteen million uh, with teams that want to spend, and that's why I think think the Bills might be out unless he decides. Look, I want to stay here and build this thing up. Um, but Jermaine, I like Alex Angelone. I think he's a good guy that can kind of come in and play. Um, I, he hasn't really shown much because his defense and the players around him haven't been the greatest in Detroit, but I think he's a guy that could come in and, and make some plays. Levante David is an interesting guy. He's, I mean, he's older, so he's definitely not going to be as freakishly athletic. Bobby Wagner is a guy that you could bring in and fill in um, at the position that I think is a little, a little different than Tremaine Diamond's style of play. So, so, so there's a couple of guys that I like, but I think honestly, I'm with you, Kevin, Jermaine Pratt, if, if everything else fails, they don't like anyone in the draft. I really like him um, from Cincy. I think he's a good player. And from what you said, it sounds like he, he can play at 
maybe not quite an Evans level, but almost at an Evans level. It's, it's about as good of a fill-in as you could find for losing a guy like uh, Tremaine Edmonds. Interesting that Philadelphia at this late in the stage hired out external for their defensive coordinator position in Sean Desai. Um, so I think that there is still that out. We talked a ton about internal candidates while we're still on linebacker. There still is an outside chance it could find somebody that might be externally uh, what the team's looking for. So just wanted to make sure I threw that out there, that Philly made that decision here very late in the process to not just elevate um, somebody to their to be position. Fair to Philly, though, they had a coach plucked from them while our coach had decided to leave. And we probably had a little bit of an idea of what could potentially happen. Uh, Philly was in the middle of a playoff run. It's a little bit different when you lose a coach to another job. I think Sirianni would have known that, though. There's no way he didn't know. I mean, most likely. I I would assume most likely. But was it considered a a foregone conclusion that Arizona would would go after him and make him their head coach? Obviously, there was interest. But uh, I don't know. I would think Sirianni had a better read than the media or we did personally. I mean, if they're even close at all, like any type of working relationship, I would have said, Hey, they're pretty serious about me. I think it's likely I get the job, but either way, I just said there's precedent on February 28th hiring external at the defensive coordinator position, especially when you have a defensive coach like Sean McDermott who can oversee it all. There is options that they could look external if needed. That's all. Like I ultimately, I think it's, I've already said, I think it's Bobby Babbage jr. But personally, I think that it's possible that they look external on this thing. But transitioning kind of to the offense, we spent majority of the show talking defense, and I want to make sure we had some time to talk offense just a little bit here. Um, as I think there's a fair, I think the team feels fairly confident in their defensive plan. I think they know what's going to happen if they can't resign admins. They probably have a, a slew of linebackers they might be interested in. Maybe it's even safety they spend some money at. I'm not really sure exactly how that's going to go. It sounded pretty positive for Ed Oliver, um, but we'll see what that turns into, especially losing Edmonds and Poyer. I don't see there's a way they lose right down the middle in all three phases. So I do think if the two of them are gone, I do think that you'll see Ed Oliver retained. Um, Let's get into the offense a little bit now, though. Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate? travels faster in a comment in a post in a second jewish hate is up 388 percent in the u.s black hate muslim hate and asian hate are up too when one hate rises they all do let's stand up to all hate together share and wear the blue square from standuptojewishhate.org the world's got you feeling glazed over sprinkle some love all around just climb your way up out of that hole and you'll be the taste of the town grab the one thing that everyone's loving and as it happens they come by the dozen everybody loves a donut order a dozen from duncan there were some interesting comments we started the receiver room first Diggs and davis uh, we're talked about a, a good amount and a hot topic across all of Bill's nation over the last, you know, since the game ended. So, AJ, we'll go to you now. Anything interesting on the Davis and Diggs front and the receiver room? 
Yeah, the Davis, uh, the Davis front kind of reiterated what Bean kind of said at the end of the year. Um, they thought he finished well. Um, he had a rough like first part of the year because of the high ankle sprain against Tennessee uh, on practice on Friday before the game. It kind of lingered. He didn't get his feet underneath him. But they both said he's already training. Bean's already gotten videos from Gabe, um, so they're you know he's already back training, and getting ready for the next season. He says he's a competitor, and I think they're all on board um, for Davis to stay. You know as productive or if not better, if he can just avoid that injury and, and being made sure to say it's not an excuse, but he did say that that injury, a high angle sprain, which I've actually had is not fun to have and try and play a game with. Um, and the digs front, they, you know, they kind of asked the media was like, what, when's the last time you talked to him? When's the last time you guys, you know, is he on board with everything that's going on? They really didn't say much. Uh, they said he's a competitor. He doesn't, um, he doesn't want to or lose games. He just wants to win. When the season's that long and you you know have an ending like that, um, and, you know. And Bean said, if I remember that exact quote, he said, "If you had a four, if you had four for thirty-five and they won, he wouldn't be be doing this." <clears throat> like you know, had the fit on the sideline. So they both kind of avoided the question. They didn't really say much about what they've said to Bean or Diggs after the season's over. Or, yeah, after the season ended. Um, but they're just kind of taking it one day at a time, kind of letting the season end, refresh. They said it's all about perspective, um, and, you know, McDermott ended it with, I'm excited for him to be a Bill next year. <laughs> all right. Mike, I'll bounce it to you. What's your what's your take on those comments? Yeah, so um, I didn't get to, to listen to everything that he said, but it, it was interesting that he brought up the high ankle sprain because, in a way, it's basically him trying to justify why maybe the expectations that many Bills fans had and many outsiders had weren't reached. We, we, we talked about it even with his subpar season overall, based on what Bill's fans were expecting, he was still, I believe, 34th or 33rd in uh, total yards for a receiver. He was 15th in touchdowns. Um, he had 833, 34 yards. And there was only four number two receivers in the entire league that had 1,000 yards. So you think about that. If you just looked at Gabe Davis and you said 833 yards, seven touchdowns, you'd be like, that's okay. That's really not horrible number two production. But it was the hot and cold that really killed people. It was the untimely drops that that really aggravated people. But then you you factor in the high ankle sprain. How many games did that impact him for? How many subpar performances did he have? Say Davis still struggled uh, at moments late in the season, but he had an additional two or three games that were productive that he didn't have because of the high ankle sprain. He adds another 150 yards. Next thing you're talking about, 980 yards, maybe 55, 56 catches, eight, nine touchdowns. It's pretty hard to be critical of a number two receiver if he ends up with those types yeah. of numbers. So the high ankle sprain, I think, is a justified uh, point to bring up because that certainly did uh, hurt his production early in the year. Yeah. Now, Davis does need to – uh, improve on certain things. I, I read Tim Graham's piece on the, the Buffalo Bills receivers and why they were one of the worst units in the NFL last year. And there is a lot of good points. It, the ironic part is that Davis wasn't even the highest drop percentage player on the Bills this past season. That was Isaiah McKenzie. And it was it was easy to see that he, he was struggling in his first year as a, a major uh, part of the offense taking over the slot role. But one last thing I think that needs to be talked about with Davis is everybody's always talking about catch the ball, catch the ball, catch the ball. And there was a really good point by a, a veteran 
uh, receiver coach, where he, he talked about how he goes to youth camps across the country. And the first question he always asks the kids is, what's the most important thing to catching the ball? And he said 99% of the kids at, at, at these camps, they always the first thing they respond is hands. And he's like, no, that's that's not the answer. Because we always see the offseason stuff where Davis is on the jug machine, catching ball after ball after ball. The coach said the hands don't have anything to do with it. That, that's the third most important thing. The first thing you have to do is have good eyes. You have to be able to locate the ball in the air. So then you then have the ability with your balance and your feet to, to adjust quickly and then make the move to the ball to put yourself in the position to make the catch with your hands. And a lot of times, some of the catches that a lot of the drops that we saw from Davis, you would see errors in one of those first two things where he either didn't track the ball well and get a chance to get back to it. Or at certain times there's a ball where he just didn't go uh, proper positioning to put himself in a good spot to catch it with his hands and, uh, and catch it properly. So I do think there's been technique flaws in Gabe Davis. I do think those are things that are correctable uh, in practice. And as Eric has mentioned to us plenty of times, you look at some of the peers around Davis with similar drop rates, and there are star receivers in this league that we do not talk about their drop rates that are right in that same spot that Davis is overall. We talk about the catch rate where the percentage of targets, that needs to go up overall. The Bills can help that out by having some shorter passes to him every once in a while and not having these super long average depth of targets. But all of that to say, Davis needs to get better. He definitely needs to improve. But there are things he can do this offseason, and there are things the Bills can do schematically that can help him make those improvements next year. So while a lot of people are going to be down on him this offseason, I think there is reason to believe he will have a good fourth year. My issues with the receiver room isn't Diggs. I don't care about his outburst in the playoffs. Isn't Davis. It's what are they going to do at the slot receiver to help Josh get the security blanket that he desperately, desperately needs. Going to get to that point here. Right after our show sponsor, Sons of Erie, we are excited to have them on as a show sponsor. Check out Instagram.com slash Sons of Erie. Uh, we're really, really grateful that they're here. Uh, it's been really, really cool partnership so far. But we're going to come back with you in one second uh, to answer Mike's question. Maybe talk a little running back for a minute, some interesting comments, and tight end as well. Um, so we'll be right back at you in one second. Um, so really thinking about wrapping up the receiver discussion, I think the bills go hard after slot. I think in our draft or excuse me, in our cap special, we cut Isaiah McKenzie and we saved roughly two and a half million dollars. I think something like that will happen. Um, and slot is going to be one of the positions targeted. Will it be in an Odell Beckham jr? A player that, you know, we talk about, you shouldn't hire a receivers coach because he coached Odell Beckham Jr. That's not why they hired him. However, it certainly doesn't hurt that he would know the play. He hangs out with his his mom. Like it certainly doesn't hurt that there's that connection for the player. Is that something the Bills are still going to entertain? We'll see. Are they going to go after a bigger? I got bigger 
productive receiver, younger, whatever word you want to use, we'll see. Um, so I think that there is some options here at slot, but it's one that I absolutely, the Bills ticked on all cylinders with, with a healthy, yeah. young, younger, ready to go Cole Beasley. So I do believe the slot receiver position is one that they're going to probably, whatever money they do free, attack. Um, will they attack it with someone young like a Jordan Addison, Jackson Smith and Jigba? Other potentially, but Khalil Shakir got a shout out today, AJ, I noticed. Uh, and from Sean McDermott, too. So that was an interesting piece of the pie. Wasn't sure how that was going to go, but it seems like for his limited usage that he is well regarded right now going into a second year. Yeah, he really spoke highly of Shakir, said he liked what he did in his limited snaps, which, like, it's so weird because I feel like McDermott says that about, like, a lot of the young guys, and he'll be like, I'm really excited, like, about what this young guy did. But like, and then you think to yourself when he says it, why wasn't he out there more? So hopefully Shakir is out there more, used more. And I, I agree with you 100%. The slot um, position has to be um, addressed this offseason. Josh Downs, Eric, made me fall in love with him um, from North Carolina. If he's there in the second round and you might have to do a little trade up because I think he's going to go uh, earlier than most people think, oh, that's a guy. So yeah, addressing the slot, uh, slot receiver position is huge. I think it might be the most important position to address on this entire offense. I know people are going to mention guard, and certainly they need improved offensive line play. But if you end up using a first-round pick on a guard, uh, you don't know if that player right away is going to come in and be uh, a great player. You hope it's an improvement over what you have uh, currently in Roger Saffold. But you don't know 100% that's going to be the case. I do think – slot position is going to be important because that's where you get Josh a lot of these easy plays early in the year. They were trying to target McKenzie in some of these uh, early games and he just did not come up in the big moments. You, you remember the interception in the first game based on a drop where the ball just floats up. Uh, there's times where he lost his balance um, in, in big plays and that had drops on critical third downs. I am excited about Khalil Shakir. I do think there's a possibility he could be that slot guy this year. I don't want to go all in on that at this moment, though. Um, if he ends up winning the job in camp, I'm totally fine with that. The thing about Shakir, though, is he doesn't need to be exclusively a slot guy. In college, he did a lot of different things. He was an all-around player. He could play outside. He did line up in the slot. He had the ability to do gadget stuff on jet sweeps. He even did uh, – I uh, forget what it's called, what Miami used to do, all the, the Wildcat uh, back in the day. So Khalil Shakir is an all-around talent, and I like his versatility, and that's one thing that me and Kev used to talk a lot about when he was first drafted is that you can line this guy up in different areas. I still want to go bring someone from the outside in. We talked about... Israel is 5,690 miles away from the U.S., 11 hours by plane. Hate travels faster, in a comment, in a post, in a second. Jewish hate is up 388% in the U.S. Black hate, Muslim hate, and Asian hate are up too. When one hate rises, they all do. Let's stand up to all hate together. Share and wear the blue square from StandUpToJewishHate.org. There's some free agents, maybe a Paris Campbell, probably not likely, uh, we would all love o Odell Beckham Jr., but the price tag probably isn't going to work on that. Jacoby Myers would be 
amazing to have that happen, but he's going to command over 15 million plus uh, per year. So that's not likely either. I think where you're going to get the guy, if you do end up trying to get an upgrade at slot is drafting one in the first or second round. Uh, there's a bunch of guys out there. We talk about it every week on the show. Last year I was in, I was in love with a couple of the receivers. Bills unfortunately weren't able to get any. I wanted an Olave. I wanted a Jameson Williams. This year the receivers I want are uh, the mold of the Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, you got Addison out of USC. And, and, and who can forget about Zay Flowers out of Boston College? And if you don't get one of those three, like you guys said, Josh Downs uh, from UNC, you have um, the guy out of Tennessee. So there there are going to be some guys available that can can definitely help you out uh, on this offense. So hopefully Brandon Bean is aggressive in, in attacking that position because I think he realizes – just how important that will be to Josh Allen going forward. And to your point, Mike, I agree 100% actually with your take that the slot receiver is the biggest need. And that's because I think Khalil Shakir, if the Bills end up cutting McKenzie, he can fill that role, but do it at a way better, you know, rate. I think, he, like you said, he can be moved all over the field. He was using gadget plays. And then if you have that slot guy, they can always get open on top of that with Davis with digs and then using clear secure with whatever you want to do. I think that's just a recipe for success on the offensive side of the ball, as long as the offensive line holds up. Yeah. Like seriously, like looking at it from, that's a good point of view with secure. You really shouldn't have the need to have McKenzie. You have a guy that can do all the things that McKenzie can do. He can do the gadget stuff that McKenzie was known for before getting the slot role last year. Yet he is a better overall receiver. He is uh, he's, he still has the special team's ability if needed. So I'm not seeing why you why you keep McKenzie in this situation. You have a guy that can do the things he can do. Like, I, I love Isaiah McKenzie, the person, and he, he's had a, a solid run, and it's been fun watching him improve uh, with the Bills, but it's gotten to the point where if he's not going to be a special teamer and if he's not going to be doing uh, some of the gadget stuff, I just don't like his fit, and – He's also one of those guys that even though he has incredible quickness, McKenzie can be pushed off easily. You, you, you can touch him and take him down with a, a finger tap. Uh, and I, I think you can upgrade over there. I hmm. think so. Um, lots of love for Khalil Shakir, Mike. I'm, that, that makes me feel great. He's a guy we like pre-draft, a guy we talked about after the draft as a steal. You mentioned it. Hey, one quick thing too, Kevin. I remember okay. when they drafted him. Uh, Gr WGR five fifty in Buffalo here was talking about him, and they were just laughing about the pick, saying all these people are going to expect Khalil Shakir to come in, and this guy's probably not going to do much with the Bills. He's a fifth round pick. Blah blah blah. And all I could think about the entire time was you and I have been hyping him up since the pre draft process. So. Obviously, he didn't do anything monster year one, but it will be very interesting to track his career because I do think there was a lot of people in the traditional media that really didn't expect much from him. But I do think this is a guy that will be uh, a steal. When I mean, we look he was at him down the line. He, he was a slight nip of the ground away from having a huge game against Miami. Like, I, I mean, he kind of almost, I mean, the, the Bengals game is just a wild finish, but he kind of finished in a way, if that Bengals game would have gone normal, like Gabe Davis did, he would have had some crazy expectations. He was playing really well. It looked like he's a zone beater. He has the ability to 
beat corners off of press. Uh, he, he shows a lot of good route running ability. Um, and one that I think just like we talk about with Bernard, like we're comfortable with Khalil Shakir in the slot as a fifth round pick, but we still have our kind of our qualms about Terrell Bernard filling in as a third round pick, uh, which is, in, it's just interesting. It, it doesn't mean, kill this draft. It's interesting. That's why I won't kill this draft class because everybody keeps saying at the end of this past year, well, look at Kansas city and all their guys that got minutes. Well, Kansas city needed those guys because they didn't have the depth and they needed their rookies to step up and credit to them. They came up and they played well in the beginning of the year though, they were playing a lot of minutes and they weren't playing great football. They were playing because they had no one else behind them on the depth chart. And you got minutes just because you had to get the minutes. That doesn't mean you're always playing great. Now that experience helped them as the season went on and they ended up playing some quality football in big moments in the playoffs. But a lot of people that want to kill draft classes after one year, I look at this Bills draft class right now. I think James Cook is going to be a good running back for the Bills. Uh, mm. Did he have a dynamic, explosive year one? No, but I think there's a path for him to be an uh, impact player on this Bills offense, especially what we saw down the stretch. I do think Kyrie Elam will be the number two uh, corner for the Bills this upcoming season. Uh, we will see if he has it in him to be a starting uh, corner and an impact player at that position. We will see if Khalil Shakir has it in him to step up. If Khalil Shakir ends up being a productive slot receiver for the Bills, that's a win right there with that draft pick. If you can have three players out of this draft end up being quality contributors to a playoff team that's competing for um, trying to contend for a Super Bowl, you can't kill that draft class. So I, I know people are all over this bean narrative. Look at the last couple of years. Like, oh, my God, what's going on? Let's like – Let's lay off of that. Bean has had his struggles at drafting defensive linemen. I will give you that. But it's not like Bean suddenly forgot how to draft and evaluate players. Let's give it some time. Certainly. I think as you look at the receiver room, there's definitely some work to be done. I think as Bean puts it, you know, you want to have guys, you know, with rack ability, the ability to um, – be playmakers with the ball in his hands and it could be at any position. I really think we'd be remiss to not talk a second about running back and his ability and Sean McDermott too. When they asked, is there ability for someone to handle the touches an additional running back? Sean said, yes. So what do we take away from that? Um, AJ and you're in, and what you heard there at the running back room, obviously everyone loves Khalil Shakir as we just talked about. Everyone seems to have good feels about Naeem Hines because of two kick returns and, and good on him for those returns. They were needed in that Patriots game for sure. Um, what did he produce offensively? They couldn't find a way to get him the ball. Is that just a Dorsey problem? I'm not going to say we can blame Dorsey for some stuff. I'm not going to sit here and blame him for that. There might not have been a natural fit there based on when he came in. I don't know. But he did mention his only two running backs on the roster, and they do, and they both agreed to confirming to replace Singletary if it's not Singletary coming back they will want a third running back. What's your takeaway on all of this with, you know, you have Leonard Fournette cut today. You have a slew of running backs in free agency from David Montgomery to Miles Sanders to obviously the big guys in Jacobs and Barkley. I mean, to medium tier guys like Singletary and others, the market is chalky Deontay Foreman. The, the market is chock full of running backs and maybe even some more available via trade. The Derrick Henry picture with Von Miller, we have to bring up as well. Um, 
Where do you stand on what you heard today at the running back room? Because quite frankly, summed up, they want to run the ball better. Yeah, I think the more interesting comment from today about the running back room was Brandon Bean uh, during the first portion. He mentioned that he doesn't really look at running backs can't be drafted in the first round as an actual like thing. Like he doesn't mm-hmm. like if you're a first round talent and you're a running back, then you're a first round talent. Like he, he cause someone asked like, do you grade positions differently based on your needs or whatever? And he was just saying that just because he's a running back does not mean he can't be drafted in the first round. So that was interesting to me. I don't think they're going to go Bijan or, you know, even Gibbs early. I don't think they're going to do that. Would I be against it? I mean, I don't know. I think Bijan's so dynamic that it would bring a cool, you know, I, I'm not I'm not against it completely, but I also see why like going after a lineman or, or a slot receiver, I think is a more pressing need. Um, but adding a guy like Bijan would be cool. I don't think they're gonna do it. But it was interesting that, like you said, McDermott said there is a spot in the offense for that. And Bean said, you know, I don't really look at the running backs that much differently. Um, if they're a first-round player, they're a first-round player. If they're a second-round guy, they're a second-round guy. And they've went – like Singletary was a third-rounder. Cook was a second-rounder. So they've taken guys high. That's the other issue, though, is how many guys can you take before you just say, okay, let's try and steal one late, like a lot of teams have done and have been successful with it. So that's kind of, I think, what they're going to have to like debate. Can we get a cheap guy in free agency? If that doesn't work, should we go late in the draft? Or should we go get the guy if Bijan's there at 27 who's just going to add so much talent as a generational kind of player? He's a generational player. That would be a fun one, Kev. I think that's a – that's one where if he falls to 27. We're not talking about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I mean, he's a generational player. If he he fell to 27, there would be the – don't – there would be the crowd of people that say never draft a running back round one. But you would have a very – difficult decision on your mind if you're Brandon Bean it, it really comes down to who is who are the alternatives like if you have Osiris Torrance uh on the board well you probably go with the guard because you know you have a guy that could be a long-term player on this team if you have a Jackson Smith and Jigba or uh Zay Flowers or an Addison on the board you probably go receiver because you're helping Josh out uh in the passing game but if the wideouts you want are gone. And then the, the linemen that you're hoping for at the end of the first round are gone. You're in a position where it's Bijan or trading down. Unless you get the, the trade offer where you, that works for you, you, you might have to go uh, Bijan in that, that situation, assuming you didn't make a move or a, pl- a play at someone at running back in free agency. And we're talking about a, a difference maker, a guy that's one of the most dynamic running backs to come out of college football in the last 20 years. Uh, we already saw how Brees Hall, uh, the type of impact he made with the Jets offense. And Bijan is a level above a Brees Hall right now. So uh, that would definitely be, be difficult. But, Kev, I think we can all kind of safely say the chances of him falling to 27 are not likely. So – Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Most likely, Brandon Bean is not going to be put in that situation. But if he did, you're probably trying to decide between him, one of the top tight ends, or trading down if wide receiver and the lineman that yeah, you want is running off the board. Seventh on CBS, ninth on ESPN. He went 26th overall in our live mock with other GMs on Sunday. Me, Greg, Tom, Set, and uh, Judge Mathis. We were in that live as the Bills. He went 26th. So we actually had the conversation. If he falls one more slot, would we tri- uh, pull the trigger on him? We luckily didn't have to. Um, but we were staring at downs. We didn't feel like he was a top 27 talent. We got a two two fourteen and three fourteen for him where we stockpiled. So we had five day two picks and we took Josh Downs uh, there as well as Bergeron with our original second round pick. Uh, so we felt pretty good to come away with Bergeron and with uh, Downs in our mock draft in our live. It was a really cool platform draft. Uh, check that episode out. It's one of the most recent episodes. It's really cool. A lot of cool draft notes and, and nuggets of players we liked. Arnold Wright was there. Um, we we thought the 214, uh, 214-314 was worth the trade-up. Uh, I further then was able to negotiate a trade for Ed Oliver. They gave us a th- uh, early third-round pick for him. Uh, so we you know we swung the trigger on that. But it was a really cool exercise where we had multiple day-two picks. Um, so go ahead, check out the most recent episode there. But running back, the comments in general are pretty interesting about how deep it is. One guy that I don't think the Bills would ever – like. I a guy that they would love to get a hold of is Devin A. Chang. I just can't. I, I he's going to run four two. He's going to be a dynamic player. He's very productive. You have him in this draft who could be talked about as a first round pick. He's not going to be because of Robinson and Gibbs, but he's definitely a super interesting player in the second round. So is Charbonnet. He's another different style of running back that they could go ahead and make the move to get at some point in this draft. But then you're not even talking about the Dwayne McBride from UAB, Chris Rodriguez Jr., uh, Keandre Miller, Sean Tucker, uh, Tank Bigsby, Tajay Spears, Chase Brown, Duke Vaughn. There's a bunch of names in this draft of guys that I do think they're going to add one um, of those guys. I, I don't think they leave this draft without toying with the depth of this running back class that you generally aren't that excited about other than like Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker. Then it's like James Cook and then like, eh, um, so I think, and obviously there's a couple of players that end up being decent on that, but Zimmer White wasn't one of them. Um, and a couple of other guys that had like high what floor. The concern have with that is if you draft someone in the third, fourth round, yeah, you're basically trusting a second year running back and a rookie to carry the load. Now I'm not entirely against that uh, given the talent, but knowing what we know about this coaching staff and how they like to ease players in, I could see them wanting to have a veteran to go along with uh, a rookie and cook uh, if that was what their approach was. And it would be Naeem Hines or it would be another, I have him cut in my scenario and we did in the cap special, but it would be, if, if Hines is cut, it would be another veteran. It would be another $2 million running back that they think that they, because this class is so deep, we've talked about it and we will continue to talk about it. Um, But 
they will have a, one of the three will be a, a much to a veteran running back. Yeah. And the thing about Bijan that like I'm on board with it in a way, but I'm also against it is I think I want to see James Cook get used in situations, develop a screen game, um, use him in the passing game more, use them what the like use James Cook for like the reason they drafted him for like the reason they drafted James Cook was to get him the ball in his hands in space and get yards after the catch with the bills have not been good at. If there's a season to develop that, if Singletary leaves and you draft a young guy in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, this should be James Cook's backfield and you have to use him for what you drafted him for. And hopefully that can be, hopefully he does a good job at it and keeps that, that job. And if he doesn't, you've got a day three guy um, and probably another veteran or somewhere, something in there. Um, that can also get some carries. So I want to see James Cook trusted on, you know, 70, 80% of snaps a game and see what he can do in, in, in this offense. It's mm, a good opinion. We'll see what happens, but I do think that it's either Hines as the veteran or they're going to go. The reason in other years I might hold on to Hines and I have good feels about him too. I just think at 5 million, he's a 12th highest paid running back in the league right now. There's a ton mm-hmm. of options in free agency. I just don't know that I can get behind that right now as with all this ability and talent between the rookie class and what you're going to be able to buy in free agency. As Mike said about the veteran running back, it's hard for me to want him to be it when you have, you know, a a slew, a litany of guys, Montgomery, Sanders, Pollard, even Singletary to an extent, Kareem Hunt, Damian Harris, Alexander Madison, Rashad Penny, Jamal Williams, Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert. Uh, Deontay Foreman there is just a plethora of those guys that can be that veteran and I hope that they pick it's not just a default to Naeem Hines I hope that they pick one of those guys that fits best and like a Jamal Williams or something to pair with James Cook and then take the fourth round running back depending on who it might Mm -hmm. Sean Tucker in the late third or maybe in the fourth there is a ton of good running backs there and we could talk running back, and we will continue to talk running back a lot this offseason, trust me, uh, as we get into some more of our draft shows maybe as soon as next week. Uh, we'll, we'll focus in on running back with some more specific player profiles there. Uh, AJ will come back and let us know uh, what you think comparing Alexander Madison to some of the rookies that you saw. So we'll get into some of that after. I need to see what A-Chain, uh, what he's able to run um here and a couple of other gibbs a couple of other guys too to see what they're able to do uh here as soon as this week uh, tomorrow um tight end though gotta touch on tight end it's been mentioned as a super deep it is deep every time i'm doing my exercises reading through player profiles i'm noticing there's tight ends available in the first the second and the third and that's been rare for me in my later days of of looking and covering the draft aj what's your opinion on some of the tight end comments and anything that you know bean was very coy and he was very quick to mention that anyone with the ball in their hand is a weapon leads me to think of tight end in this situation maybe running back but leads me to think of tight end is what he was referring to they tried to get tight end two and 12 personnel with oj howard that failed he was that bad where they wanted to just cut him um and you know kind of suffered from that only three and a half million dollars against the cap could have been used i think this is the year that they do think about 12 personnel. They do think about two tight ends. the ability to block, the ability to be another weapon, the ability to play, you know, alpha slot, just whatever. What's your opinion on this tight end class and the comments today, which kind of secured my feelings about how good tight end is? Yeah, the comments today were obviously, like you said, interesting. I think 
the tight end position is a is a position that if you get the ball in their hands, they can do something. I mean, you see Dawson Knox, you know, the ability. Um, but in terms of like, I brought this up in a Twitter space, like the second tight end position, because like I didn't really hear much about it, and I kind of brought it up in a question. I was like, you know, do you think they addressed the second tight end position with OJ Howard last year? Being down here, um, I have a sense that they're not. Um, I think it's kind of like a almost like a deadbeat position for them. Like it's not a need. They're not really focused on it. Now, could I see them going late in the draft getting like, I, I let me rule it out. I don't think they go after Kincaid, Meyer, Musgrave, Laporta, Washington. Um, those like top five names. I don't think, I mean, unless they're there and there's no one else and that's the best player available on their board. Sure. Um, but I have a sense that they either go day three or I think they either go like a veteran uh, tight end, maybe try to try that OJ Howard path again. Um, but I would love if they took a one of those Kincaid or Meyer, one of those guys. They're really talented. I think Kincaid's the best tight end in the, tr- in the draft, in my opinion. So get one of those guys would be cool. But I don't think they're going to go that route. I think it's going to be O line. What, what we talked about: running back late, possibly a linebacker safety, and then going after um, just you know as many playmakers as you can, and you know O line, D line. I think I think. Bills fans wouldn't freak out if the Bills took a D lineman in the sixth round. It, if they do, I mean, it's it's a low cost, low reward. If you if he works out, he works out. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Yeah, and Mike, you mentioned slot receiver being a huge portion of this, and but playmakers. Let's tie it into tight end. Mike Isaki, who's a true slot, could be a dominant slot, uncoverable in some senses, <laughs> utilized properly in an <laughs> offense. He's not a tight end. He doesn't really play the traditional tight end sense. He's not going to really block anybody. What's your opinion as, you know, AJ doesn't think we're going to touch tight end in the draft. Okay, let's pivot. Talk about it in free agency. Obviously, you have Schultz and Ingram who might get paid. Next tier is like Gasecki, Hopper, uh, excuse me, Austin Hooper, uh, Irv Smith Jr., Hayden Hurst, Robert Tunyon. What do you think about a Gasecki as the slot receiver, someone who can be physically uh, just, he's just. I mean, I think uh, it's generous. I think it's generous even calling Gasecki a tight end. Uh, considering he doesn't do half of the things that tight ends do. So uh, more of a glorified receiver with a tight end label. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it would always be fun to have that added to uh, the Bills. But I think his price tag is going to be probably too much for the Bills to have genuine interest. I wouldn't be opposed to drafting one of those those tight ends if they were available at, at 27 and your guys that you really wanted were off the table. I know it's probably not likely, but if a Kincaid or Meyer were available, it, I would have a tough time not at least considering it just because of uh, the dynamic you can bring to your offense. Now, to the contrary, the Bills had have already have a decent pass-catching tight end, and they didn't use them last year. So what are they going to do with two pass-catching tight ends uh, on their team, uh, especially when they just gave – uh, knocks the big money, but it, it would be something to at least consider and open up different aspects of this offense. You think about how poorly they were in the red zone this past year, and that was one of the reasons why we wanted them to uh, to address tight end and just just awful, man. Uh, hopefully, they can they can at least make a move to uh, help inside the twenty, so they don't have a repeat of last season. Yeah, to me, it doesn't have to be like uh, they have. Once they can't do the other. I think that the whole idea with weapons are they're able to utilize them all in a way. I know we 
remember, you know, Knox didn't get really involved early in the season. He did later, um, did end up finishing fairly near his normal numbers. Um, so I just think it'd just be yet another weapon in running 12 personnel. I do think they'd probably prefer somebody who can play some traditional tight end sets over a Mike Kosecki. Could be wrong. It could be the guy that they target. But to me, I think like if you're sitting on the clock and there's two tight ends to me that are worthy of a first round draft choice this year in Michael Mayer and Dalton Kincaid. And if one of them's there, I do think you need to check where they are on your board to make sure that that isn't a playmaker with yak ability, um, with a rack ability um, that's able to do what you need to get done. And I think that he can do that. I think they prefer uh, Quentin Morris in certain packages as their third tight end. I think he's perfect for that. Get, you know, no Tommy Sweeney on the roster. So really going Quentin Morris, maybe a true backup tight end. And then really one of the things that Chiefs people that I talk to and people who cover the Chiefs like to remind me of is how good Noah Gray is. And like, what are you talking about? But I've watched some film on him and what he's able to do to take some pressure off in certain situations is huge. We don't, we don't see the 1,400 yards and 40 touchdowns from Noah Gray, but we do see like a demanding presence from tight end too, and he's able to do a lot of different things. And Chiefs, um, people like to mention that to me as like, I'd be scared of the Bills offense if they added a Dalton Kincaid. That to me shows me that they don't want us having Dalton Kincaid. That's interesting perspective to me that what they'd be able to do with a Knox, a Kincaid, a Diggs, a Davis, and a slot, Shakir, whoever it may be, that starts to become pretty interesting. Um, the amount quick, of size you'd have, just yeah. that alone. Yeah, would be the, the high point of all of them. All of them can high point it. Um, that's that's fairly, say it's Shakir, say it's Diggs, Davis, Kincaid, and uh, uh, Dawson Knox. They can all high point the ball. Um, you know, And now you have a commanding ability to run 22, to run 12, to run a lot of different things that I think they wanted to get into this year and had to take it out of their playbook a little bit. Uh, and only we're able to do some of it with Quentin Morris, who now you have as your traditional third tight end, which they would like. I like that. I'm not saying it's my number one path to this draft. I want to see what this week brings us. Um, but it is a path that I would be interested in taking if the O-line gets depthed out pretty quickly and early on in the draft. I don't want to force a tackle um, because that's what I think they need is tackle. And once again, you can have Kincaid with the Dawson Knox. You're not replacing Dawson Knox. I want to put that out there. That is not what's happening here. They just paid him. It's the ability to be multiple and run different personnel packages that they struggled to run this year that they saw a lot of in training camp. So that's, to me, what you're able to do with a mayor or a Dalton or a Kincaid and a couple of other the names that you'll see uh, Musgrave maybe later, Darnell Washington, both in the second round, Laporta, Tucker Kraft, Luke Schoonmaker, a couple of those guys that you'll be able to see maybe a little bit later down the draft board. So AJ, what's up for this week? Tell us what the schedule looks like for you in Indianapolis and who's doing what and what we can expect to see on TV. Yeah. So tomorrow um, I'm going to focus on interviewing. Uh, D-lines tomorrow morning. So, yes, I know Bills fans. I'm going to interview some D-line prospects. Um, don't, <laughs> don't, I'm doing it just for general uh, you know, knowledge, just to put it out there for some content. So I'll be looking at D-linemen. Um, I'm actually leaving Friday, so I, it sucks because I really wanted to get to O-line Saturday. Talk to some of the guys that I talked to at the Senior Bowl, see how they're doing. Um, but I'll get to talk to some receivers, the quarterbacks. I'm just going to talk to just because this is such a talented class. Um, and that'll be Thursday. So I'll focus on some D linemen, some cornerbacks tomorrow, um, quarterbacks, wide receiver, Thursday, Friday, along with some running backs in there as well. So 
it'll be a fun week. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, I appreciate you guys having me on last minute. I know I just came in like 10 minutes behind the bell. Uh, and I appreciate you guys letting me come in and share what, you know, I experienced, experienced here in Indy uh, today. When's By testing way, start? Testing is Thursday, I believe. Thursday. Okay, cool. Yes. By the way, I'm not against D-line uh, in this draft at all. Mm, uh, I, I know some people are going to say that we've failed enough in recent years. I We're still struggling on the D-line. If you see somebody that you think you can plug in that will help the rotation, I'm all for it. So, um, yeah, maybe not in the first round if you have other great players available, but it's kind of all about what you have staring at you right now. Like we just talked about tight ends and then Bijan Robinson, like that's obviously not the number one option, but you get to a point where when what's in front of you, your other options are taken away. Well, then you got to take the best of what's available. So if there is a defensive lineman at some point in this draft, um, that makes sense. I'm all for it. Hmm, interesting. All right, there you have it. We have AJ on foot in Indianapolis. Looking forward to what he's able to bring home next week. And we'll talk about some of the, his favorites and some of our favorites uh, here next week at 7 o'clock. Special shout out to Sons of Erie, new show sponsor, Instagram.com slash Sons of Erie to see their exclusive stuff that they offer. Um, really great, great, great brand. AJ, anything you're going to be working on that you're going to be publishing? Oh yeah, actually, I'm after this. Uh, I'm gonna work on. I did. I released my Brandon Bean press conference. You know, interesting tidbits from the day. After this, I'm going to do the same thing, but with Sean McDermott. Hopefully, get that out tonight, earlier tomorrow morning. And then, obviously, just I'm just gonna have videos on my Twitter all week of guys that I interview, talk to, and then along with some player spotlights coming. So, be on the lookout. My Twitter is at Sabalski, which you see right. Mm-hmm. And we right have. There. Nine o'clock, dis- uh, disguised coverage coming up with Ant uh, Prohaska. He'll be on that. Um, I think he switched shows with the film room. So we'll have Ant coming up here now at nine o'clock to give you his uh, great show and his opinions going forward. So make sure you tune into that here at nine o'clock. AJ on foot from Indianapolis. Thank you, sir, for coming on. Really appreciate you and your knowledge. We will get back to producer AJ and his thoughts next week as well. So thanks. Thank you so much, AJ, for coming on. Uh, Mike, any final thoughts about anything you're looking at at the combine uh, this this weekend? Anything that you want to see? Nothing specific. Just want to. It's always fun seeing where these great players that you watch for three, four years uh, see how they um, match up athletically uh, when you actually have them all in the same place at the same time. It, it is interesting that there were some comments earlier in the month about uh, the players' association actually being in favor of ending the NFL combine, uh, mm-hmm. they compared it to kind of owners and uh, some other topics that we don't want to get into, but uh, would be interesting to see if that is something that gains traction in future years. And if they do go more to a regional pro day uh, approach, I can't see the NFL ever wanting to get rid of the combine because it just makes no. so much sense from their perspective. But um, interesting to see that the NFLPA would even be against it in the first place. Um, but Overall, it's fun to have some football content this week. Uh, and we always hope that the players that we're, uh, we're wanting or targeting have, well, I guess if you, if you have enough faith in them, you don't even care if they have a good day or not. Maybe they'll fall if they have a, a subpar combine performance. But um, just hoping to, to get some entertainment out of it and uh, have a better idea of these Bills targets a week from now. 
There you have it. That's what Mike Bunn's looking forward to. And we will get into, I guess, um, we'll get into a little bit of stadium renderings at some point too um, in the coming days. But those those were released. Some interesting perspectives on that. Um, and, you know, looks okay. Um, really excited we'll to see that. More time to when people yeah. aren't all hyped up about Leslie Frazier walking away. <laughs> Combine. But I, we definitely do have some sh- uh, some thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, and I, I do actually do surprisingly that it's still a controversial topic. Uh, uh, mm. Not it, this whole stadium thing has been a controversial topic from the beginning. From uh, where should it be? Should it be downtown or the suburbs? Should it have a dome? No dome. Obviously, the taxpayer money, the price tag, um, and honestly, a lot of the stuff has been known about what the stadium was going to be like for the last year and a half. That it's going to be an Orchard Park without a dome, and you still have people. Uh, confused yeah confused and surprised that they don't have a dome as if they haven't paid attention to the news for the last 18 months and yeah the renderings weren't crazy impressive like you would expect out of the minneapolis out of minneapolis with the vikings or sofi stadium or mercedes-benz stadium um in atlanta but i think we all know what the price tag the bills were paying and with what uh, they're trying to keep the tickets still affordable for fans that we were never going to get um, a palace, but definitely something to talk about in the future and okay. involve uh, input of all the, the people watching the show to get their thoughts uh, on the topic. Yeah, definitely want to get into that more. I think, you know, we'll have a show, you know, we'll probably put it into our show for at least a good chunk of change to talk about the stadium. But thanks for everybody for tuning in today. Um, it was a great addition. Lots of great info from AJ coming at you next week with some more details and it will be just days away from the tampering window next week. And then we'll talk to you pretty much in the tampering window here, two weeks from today, that'll be definitely a fun show. So make sure you tune into that. It's a great time of year. And then from there, a lot of draft, we'll get into some stadium, probably some more things coming out about that. So really appreciate everybody tuning in next up. We got Ant from Kevin, from Mike, from producer AJ. We'll be back with you next week, Tuesday at seven o'clock. We'll check you guys soon. Josh, Josh Allen, looking deep, going deep. To me, talking about the Bills, what else would you rather be doing? We're hoping to add a, a new dimension to the Cover One Network. Slings it deep downfield, Right now, I just want to talk about this championship level. I've never had a championship caliber team to talk about. I want to focus more on the storylines each week. What are the big stories going on with the Bills? What are uh, thoughts, commentary? How do these things impact Buffalo? Deep drop. Deep throw. And it is pulled in for the touchdown. Allen deep to the end zone and caught for a touchdown. Play action. Deep downfield. open. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
a laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.